We've been um, working our way through a series called Uncomfortable, and I'm hoping in some way that you're uncomfortable in your seat, uh, not just this morning, but it makes things that we've been talking about would make you squirm. They make me squirm at times when I think about, well, what are we got to do and how are we going to do that? And um, we've got some help up the front, so... Um, I want to make sure that we have a sense of what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing because uncomfortable is not about, is not a negative thing. And I think it's Andy Stanley that talks about the fact that when we grow spiritually, we grow most on the incline. Spiritual growth happens most on the incline. What that means is that we grow spiritually when things the most quickly when things are difficult through difficult situations that's what uncomfortable is about so we've talked and looked about our, our uncomfortable grace how when god has extended his grace to us and it's been extended to us even though we did not deserve it you and i can think of people who we would think they don't deserve god's grace but they have it Sometimes that makes us uncomfortable, but the problem is it doesn't take too much thinking along those lines before we realise that we didn't deserve God's grace, but we have it. God's grace is available to all. It shouldn't be uncomfortable, but it, it attacks us at our pride and makes us feel a little uncomfortable. We talked about uncomfortable growth and being, and this is again back to the spiritual growth happens on the incline where it's when difficult things arise, we tend to grow stronger spiritually. Our character becomes more godlike, our, our thinking becomes more godlike, and we start to grow spiritually when things become difficult. When everything's cruisy, we're cruisy. Where if we have a, a comfortable life, well, why do we have to stretch ourselves? And I think it's important we realise that growth, if we're serious about spiritual growth, is uncomfortable. It will stretch us and cause us to step out of our comfort zone. And that stretched into then the next week where we looked at groups and recognising that we can be very comfortable in a group or we can be very uncomfortable, which will be a good thing in setting us to a higher level of trust and accountability. Last week, Troy, uh, Pastor Troy spoke to us about uncomfortable, the uncomfortable gospel. And I, and I want to pick up on that this morning again as we go through where we gather together because today is called uncomfortable gathering. And in a world of busyness and interaction with people, it is nice at times to go people free and avoid all contact. Don't you agree? I think all of us have moments in our life where we were just like, I just want to be a hermit. Bury my head in the sand and just avoid all contact. I come up for breath at times, but just avoid all people. We live in a culture where busyness reigns, it seems. And we, we are, get asked to do things. I don't have time to do that. Or we have to rearrange our busy schedules to make sure those things fit in. There is a lot to be said for unbusiness. But it doesn't seem to matter how much we try. Busyness seems to reign our life. 
I know I've had times when it's nice not to be having to be with people, but to just sit and do nothing. But I've come to realise that those times are not that beneficial. They might be good for the spirit for the time, but it's not too long sitting doing nothing that I sit and get bored. And then I go looking for something to do. And it's not too long after that you start looking for people to be with because we enjoy having company. But as I read through the scriptures, and in particularly the New Testament, I find that God uses the gathered church to reveal himself in ways that are not possible when we're on our own. You look through the scripture, even in Jesus' ministry, it was, it was one of gathering people who would come together. They didn't meet necessarily, or they did meet in the temple, but it wasn't just in the temple. They met on the hillside. The scriptures tell us that there was a moment where there were 5,000 men at one point, apart from women and children, and they were sitting on the hillside all day. Now, if a gathered people, if 5,000 men plus women and children is not a gathering, I don't know what is. Not only that, Jesus was told, or well, Jesus told his disciples to feed them. And if you were told to go and feed 5,000 people plus people, I know what your reaction would be. Because it's the same thing when I, I tell you we've got 15 people coming over for dinner tonight. It's like, ah, oh, what am I going to feed them? And that was, the, that was the disciples' reaction when Jesus said, you feed them. How are we going to feed them? We haven't even got anything here but a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. So Jesus went to the crowds. Crowds followed him. Jesus even tried at times to get off on his own. He, he snuck off into the dark and, and hid himself away and then he came out onto the boat at night time. But by the time he landed on the beach on the other side, guess what? There was a crowd of people gathered and Jesus had compassion on them, the scriptures tell us, seeing them and having compassion for them as a sheep without a shepherd. He taught them and he spoke with them to the gathered church in a, on a hillside. Gathering is one of the most visual and most important aspects of our faith that we can invest in and yet it is also, I believe, in our culture, one of the most neglected. Last time when we looked at groups, uh, we looked at this passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And one of the most significant parts of that scripture was we read that the crowds met daily in the temple courts and daily to share communion, breaking of bread in their people's homes. They shared prayer or they met for prayer and fellowship. They met for studying the word of God. And all of those are aspects that we have come to recognize as worship as we gather together. We study the word or we read the word. We get out our scriptures and sometimes it's on something like this. Sometimes it's on something like this. Sometimes it might even be something on a phone. I haven't got my phone on me because it's up the back at the moment. But we use a Bible. We use the word of God. It's, it was those things that the early church gathered around that were really important that we have carried through into our gathering, even in our culture. So why is gathering uncomfortable? 
if we were to put this gathering process into this series. And it's this, if we are not careful to maintain it, it can become an optional extra to all the other things that are causing us to be busy every single week. And that's the problem. Our gathering competes with everything else that's going on in our life. And I, I am more than overwhelmed, and so will you be, by, by the reasons that people use why we're not gathering. Most of it's to do with busyness or family or tiredness or, or something. I mean, there are reasons for us not to be together if we're too sick and all of those sorts of things, but there are many reasons why we, shouldn't, we should be there, but we're not. And it's uncomfortable to say that, and it's uncomfortable to realise that, because I'm sure my life has been the same, and I'm sure your life is the same, that there have been times when you think, oh, I just don't want to go. And my problem is I'm the pastor, And it happens when you stand, come up and think, oh, I just really would like a people-free day. But you know what? I've come to realise that when I feel like that, they're usually the best days ever. When I come to be with the gathered people. We touched on this when we looked at growth. Uncomfortable growth and recognised that our attendance at a worship experience was essential if we were serious about our spiritual growth. We talked about that. And we, we all ought to be serious about our, our spiritual growth, by the way. That's not an optional extra. It's not like, oh, we can choose to grow. We talked about that. I'm not going to get back into that. But growth ought to be something that happens naturally and spontaneously, but it takes effort. So if we are interested in growing healthy, which we should all be, our worship experience presence is vitally important to us. It should be vitally important to us. Hebrews 10 tells us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, the gathering together, the church, as is the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another so much that the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. As much as we may like the idea of sticking to ourselves and going off on our own and burying our heads in the sand, being able to live out our Christian lives the way we are meant to can only happen in community, in the gathered church. It's a natural process for spiritual growth to happen. It's what happened from the beginning of Acts, the new church, the, the New Testament church. It's what happened in the Old Testament as God gathered the children of Israel. Where did he gather them? Into one place. It's important that the gathering comes together. It's important that we have groups and we have small groups and all of those sorts of things, but we, it's, it's important that we have the gathering coming together. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, our meeting together is an opportunity to extend our love 
and do good works for our other brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who are part of our immediate fellowship, but also beyond that. We come together so that we might be a blessing to one another. When we meet together, it gives us an opportunity to to share with one another and to, to extend spiritual gifts with one another and help out with one another. It's what Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, we are all individuals. We are all individually thinking and working and gifted, but we are all part of one body. He goes on, he says, For by one spirit we were baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink the one, into one spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus Christ into our heart. And we talked about that last week. We will talk about it again this morning. In fact... The body is not one member, Paul says, but many. You are part of the body of Christ. And we gather together so that the body might be complete. The body might be fulfilled. And I know that I have been in places where you think, oh yeah, no one knows me and no one cares about me and no one knows what I'm good at. And I don't think I'm good at anything anyway, so it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because we have been given gifts and abilities and our presence by God so that we might be, as Hebrews tells us, a blessing to someone else or to extend love and brotherly care to each other. In other words, when we meet together, we are actually coming together as one body. One body. Each one with a different ability and purpose. And we know that Paul describes that down in verse 20, later on in 1 Corinthians, when he says that we all have different parts and we can't say that we don't need each other. He says, you can't, we, we say, well, I'm an eye and I don't need the mouth. Well, that's not true. Or you can't say that you're an ear and you don't need the nose. That's not true. We all need each other. So whether you are a nose this morning or just on the nose or you are an eye or you are blind, you are needed and part of the the gathered church because we are a blessing to God when we do that and a blessing to one another, no matter how much we think that may not be the case. One of the primary responsibilities of the church gathered is to show love and to give opportunities for our spiritual gifts to be exercised. That doesn't mean that others won't have similar gifts and, and this is something else that keeps popping up at times. And You know, it's, it's, it's likely, in fact, it would be unusual for it not to happen that others in, in a group would have similar gifts to you. And we have a peop, group of people on the stage this morning who have gifts in music. And it would be easy to think, sitting back in the, in the seats, that I, I have a gift in music, but I, I don't think I'm as good as that, so I'm not going to use mine. Or I don't need to say anything. That's, 
Baloney. Can I use that word? That's wrong. We all have different gifts. Sometimes they're similar. We might have a gift of teaching, but we have a different passion and we have different abilities. So there are going to be people who have a gift of teaching who are going to be really good with senior people, but they're going to be useless with, with primary school kids and vice versa. There are some people here who, who freak out and their hair stands on end when you start talking about teenagers. There are others who actually love being around teenagers because we are given different abilities and we can have a similar gift to be able to use within each of those contexts. We are not the same. If you, you only have to take a look at your hand. Most of you have a handprint or a fingerprint, unless you've deliberately rubbed it out because you want to do something Ill- illegal. And we're different, even down to our fingerprints. We are the body of Christ, and it is God who has gifted us with our gifts to edify the church. I'm not going to say any more about that because I'm one of, Jasmine's going to be sharing that next week about our giftedness. There's a head start on what the next G might be, uncomfortable. But we're, it's, it's tough when we're doing things tough. Galatians tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens and so in doing so we will fulfill the law of Christ. That's what part of the role or responsibility is for the gathered church. We are to bear one another's burdens. And I'm, I'm like you and you're like me, I'm sure, when you think, oh, I just don't want to hear anyone else's burdens this week. You laugh because I know you're thinking the same thing. But again, we go back to what I said before, when you come even when we don't feel like it when we start to express our interest and we start to get into and love one another, something amazing happens. God blesses the church when the church becomes the church. When we love and extend love to one another, when we encourage one another. Bearing one another's burdens is not something that's just good to do. It's something that we are required to do. We're commanded to do. So gathering together or, or community of a church is, is, ought to be one of the most significant parts of being gathered together so that we might bear one another bur- other's burdens. We might love one another. We might encourage one another. We might guide one another. I'm not saying that some of us will irritate one another too at times. But we need to love one another at the very core of what we do, why we do it. Secondly, I believe that gathering together is one of the best ways we can receive help and love. And by meeting together on a regular basis, people get to know who you are and they get to know, you get to know who they are. When you're away, when, when you're not here, it's noticed Your seat's empty because you're people of creatures of habit and you sit in the same seat every week. Some of you. (laughs) And if you are not wanting to be noticed like that, shift seats. No, don't do that. We want to miss, we miss you. 
There's, there's a vacancy right here this morning. And, and I know we, that Rita has, has desires more than anything else to be there. I don't know what she's up to this morning. She's been in hospital all week, but she said if she... And they were expecting a home this weekend, or she was hoping to get home this weekend. That might have been more than what happened, but it's not unlikely she's listening to this online or watching you and I right now because that's what she said she wanted to do. She wanted to be here. And that's what community is all about, where we can love and encourage one another. It's noticed when you missed. I said this the other week, but if you want to encourage your pastors, the best way you can do that is to be here on a regular basis. There's nothing more disheartening than to look across and think, oh, they're not there, they're not there, they're not there. Because our minds typically go to the negative rather than the positive, rather than saying, oh, they're there, they're there. You and I do the same thing every single time. Encourage one another, all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. The gathered church ought to be the entire church coming together. Sunday morning is not enough, as we said earlier. And Sunday morning, though, ought to be the time when all the groups that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago gather together to celebrate and honour God. It's the gathering of the small groups to come into a big group, a gathered church. A time of fellowship, a time of prayer, a time of communion, a time of studying and reading the word of God. Coming together to find out each other's needs. To rejoice with one another. To celebrate with one another. It ought to be a time when, the, when each one of us connects with people we don't normally connect with. Whether we're, we're children connecting with our seniors and vice versa. Or youth connecting with, I don't know who they connect with. With, they connect with everybody. I'm being mean to the youth. But when we need to interact with each other, our youth getting involved in Sunday school, our young adults spending time with people around the place, helping out, we need to be part of the gathered church. That's what the gathered church does. This is family. And if you want to be connected to family... Being here on a regular basis and staying around for fellowship afterwards is one of the best ways that we can do that. We might not always agree with one another. In fact, we won't always agree with one another. But we really ought to love one another. Why? Because as Hebrews tells us, it's going to get harder and harder to live as a Christian as we draw closer to Jesus coming back. We should encourage one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. And as Christians, it's going to get more and more difficult to live as a Christian. We need one another to help us through that. And besides, <clears throat> how are our children going to experience and learn appropriate behaviour unless they're in church? God knew from the beginning that we needed community. And it was one of the commands that God gave to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He says, gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within 
<coughs> excuse me, who is within your gates. In other words, let's gather everybody together. It's not just about your church or your, your people, it's everybody, that they might hear and they might learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe the words of the law. God commanded the Israelites to get them all together so that they might hear and understand the word of God. And their children, who have not known it, might hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. It was the gathering together that helped the young people learn to fear the Lord. There's a lot to be said to make sure about keeping our young people right from being born through to whatever call you call young people, 60-year-olds, in church. And we who are older than what we would normally class as children should relish the idea of having children in church. It should be a joy to be so outspoken and or to have children running around and doing things that are irregular and dare I say noisy because that's what children do but how are we going to teach them or how are they going to learn unless they are here hearing about that and recognizing what's good and appropriate growing up to love the Lord Jesus Christ They won't always behave. But it's nice even as parents to have a group of family together who are gathered who will help train up the children in this context. Children are not going to learn how to react to the pressures of the world if they're kept out of the gathered church. They're going to not understand what it is if we don't bring them in and encourage them and be here. So parents of young children, be encouraged. I don't care if they're noisy. I don't care if they're messy because we're all noisy and messy. It doesn't matter if the carpet gets spoiled. It doesn't matter if things get broken. Sure, we want to make sure that we do our best that it doesn't, but it doesn't matter because that's what family is all about. I can remember my eldest son Simon when he was about two Karen gave him one of those little golden books that he'd left out somewhere and she said can you go and put this back in your room so he picked it up and he stood at the door and he went chuck which wouldn't be a problem except it somehow threw it so well as a two-year-old a three-year-old that it went like this on end friend hit the window on the other end and smashed it to pieces he freaked out so did Karen It doesn't matter because those things can be fixed. That's what children do. We, I can remember driving with my nephew up to Maryborough from Gympie one time, taking him home. He'd been staying with us for some reason and we're taking him up. We got within 100 metres of his, of his house, driving in Maryborough up the street he was living in. He says, Uncle Ron, I feel sick. I said, hang on to it, Nathan. I think it was all over Kelly, my daughter, who was sitting beside him. 
That's what children do. They're messy. And yes, it was frustrating. And why couldn't you just wait for another two minutes? But that's what children do. We've got to love our children because they grow up to be you and I, adults. And I believe that the way that they are taught and encouraged affects how they live their life even later on and how much they regard the gathered church. We need to recognise that. Enough about that. We come together as a way of celebrating our groups and being like-minded people. I've said that already this morning, but coming together once a week is not enough. And as a church, being part of a small group is important with accountability, but together once a week, we also come together as a cele- to celebrate as the entire church gathers corporately to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not just about catching up with one another, although we will. It's about gathering together to worship the one who deserves to be worshipped. The thing is, Satan will do everything that he possibly can to disrupt the flow and enthusiasm of the gathered church. He will. And he will put into your mind and my mind all sorts of ideas of why I shouldn't bother coming. We need to recognise that we should disregard all of those things as much as possible. There is no real valid reason, well, there are valid reasons, but generally speaking, we should be here. And Satan uses all sorts of means and ways to bring division into the church so that the gathered church doesn't function the way as it, as it ought to function. The gathered church is one of the most powerful forces on this planet. And it's because its power comes from the Holy Spirit who is within us, as we read before. Each one of us who have received Jesus into our heart have the Holy Spirit. And so the gathered church coming together, each with the Holy Spirit, should be the most powerful influence in our community. Satan will endeavour to create disunity. He will want disruptions and cause obstacles that will bring divisions into the church so that it becomes ineffective. Romans 16, Paul tells us this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. And one of the best ways that we can avoid them is by being unified in our reasons for gathering together. Not for personal gain, but to worship the one who deserves to be worshipped. God wants us to be an effective tool to show people how and why they should love the Lord, to fear the Lord. That's what we read before in Deuteronomy. He wants the church to be a light to all nations. He wants us to live our lives as an example that, of what it means to live in the presence of Jesus Christ. He wants the church to be the body of Christ the way that it was designed to be, each one able to use their gifts. But there are other reasons why meeting together is helpful beyond those things of, which are all ourselves that we've mentioned so far. But there are others and the, probably one of the most important ones is 
what we read last week in Acts 2, 42 to 47 and the week before that we read in Acts 2, 42 to 47 and what I want to read this morning in Acts 2, 47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When was that? At the prime where they were gathered together in fellowship, prayer, communion and the breaking of, in breaking of bread and reading of the word of God. It's what God did because they were of one mind and one heart Gathering together is not just beneficial for us, but if we are serious about seeing others, if we are serious about seeing other people into the kingdom, it's essential. Gathering together is one of the best ways that we that other people outside of the church can experience Jesus Christ and who He is and the gathered family. We read about it last week and the week before, as I said. But as believers met together daily in the temple courts and shared people's meals in people's homes, there was something that was happening in the outside world at the same time. Here were people gathering together daily, doing those things, and outside people were starting to notice. Here was a group of people who were living out their faith and the scriptures tell us, in that scripture, in that part, that they had favour on all people. In other words, the change that had come across this group since Jesus had been on earth, crucified, risen, taken back into heaven, and the gathered church started to meet, the change that had taken place in those people, the compassion that they were showing to one another and to the outside community, the needs that were being met because everyone had everything that they needed, we read later on, the way that they conducted themselves was so obvious to the outside world that people were drawn into the group and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. About 3,000, if you go back to verse 41... About th- uh, f- sorry, about 3,000 earlier on in that chapter and then 41 says about 5,000 later on in Acts 4.4. 4. Can you imagine if 8,000 people were added to the church across even com- the community of Yapoon in a few weeks? What difference that would make to society? I'm not talking about the Yapoon Wesley Methodist Church on its own. This is the church. If the gathered church lived and played out the things that we were supposed to play out, not playing is not probably the good word, but if we did what we're supposed to do, people would notice and people would would be inquiring about what's going on in that place. I don't know what sort of welcome team they had in the early church, but they would have been busy people. I, I didn't know you. I, I, I didn't see you last week. That, that would have been every week. It should be that. Though these believers came out of varying backgrounds, they were of one heart and one soul and they were united in their understanding of the gospel and their passion. And that's how the gathered church ought to work. Because Jesus put it like this. He says, let your light shine before men that they might see the good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're to do as a gathered church. 
So today our gathering ought to be one of the most significant days of the week for us. We must be careful that we don't place this opportunity at the bottom of the priority pile. I'll go to church if nothing else happens. I get too busy. I went to church last week. It's okay. It's not really that okay if we are serious about our spiritual growth. Even if visitors turn up or, or family suddenly turns up at home, they ought to be aware that we gather together. Let them know. I'm going to be at church. You can come along or you can wait for me because I'll be another hour and a half or so. Let them know that. Who knows, they might even want to come, even if you don't think they will. Let your light shine so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable telling people that I can't actually do that this morning because I'm gathering with my church family? gets awkward and a little nerve-wracking sometimes when we have to say, oh, I can't do that. It's easier to say no to church, it seems, than it is to say no to other things. Letting people know that church is a priority may well be uncomfortable, but it is an essential part of us being an ambassador of Jesus Christ in this community of people. And it's there that we can experience community, receive help and love from one another. It's there we can celebrate with each other the highs and lows of life with understanding and appreciation of how others are feeling. But it's also an opportunity for others to experience Jesus Christ in their life for such a time as this, perhaps for the very first time. And it's in church that we should understand that God wants a love relationship with us that is real and personal. He, He wants this connection with mankind. In the beginning in Genesis, we read that, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the, on day six he created man. Adam and Eve. To have a, a love relationship with with himself like nothing else in all of creation. It was only to man that he breathed his breath into. It was a love relationship that he instigated. He wants a love relationship with you and I. But if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that there was a sudden change happened because Genesis 2 is the a deeper explanation of what took place on day six in Genesis chapter one. But then we get to chapter three and and everything falls apart because it tells us there that, that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that what that disobedience to God did was actually put this great big gulf between man and God that was unable to be bridged. And man was separated from God from that point. We spoke about this last week, sin is what we've called it, or what God called it, not we've called it, and sin brought death. God's righteousness, his purity, his holiness was out of our reach 
because there was this deep chasm of death between us and him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There is judgment because of that. We have no hope of being on the side with God because of that sin that's come into our lives and into our world. But Romans tells us, but praise be to him. For even though the wages of sin is death, God gave us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he came, dealt with the death, dealt with the sin and created a bridge, if you like, that would reach across. He became our saviour. He became the one that would create the bridge and allow us to be saved. But it's more than that. It's not just about Jesus Christ has done that. If we don't accept it, we can still be on the wrong side. And it's more than even that. Salvation is much more than just the knack of being saved. There was, you remember last week, what was the fifth one? Jesus as Lord, which means that he becomes the one who is in control of the things that we do. Where we say, I want you, Jesus I want you, Lord, to be the one that controls everything that, do, that is in my life. And he becomes not just salvation, but he becomes the bridge to eternal life as we surrender to him. So those five ingredients we learnt last week, sin, do you remember them? Righteousness, tell them with me if you remember them. Judgment, Jesus as saviour, Jesus as Lord. That's it. That's the gospel explained. And it's a free gift for all who will believe in him. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with their mouth, happening in the mind, happening in the experience, you will be saved. There's no other way under heaven by which men can be saved. No other way that we can experience the kingdom of God. All the good works that you do in this world will not count for anything unless we have received Jesus Christ into our heart. Stephanie comes today. Some of you may not even know Steph. You will in a moment. But she comes today to confess her faith in Jesus Christ. She's coming to present herself to be baptised. As a gathered church, we are privileged to hear such a a testimony. I was going to say Stephanie, but that's not right. A testimony. (laughs) Stephanie. That's Stephanie's testimony. So that we can encourage her and uphold her in prayer and extend compassion and help where where that's needed. Baptism isn't the door to salvation. The scriptures do not tell us that we need to be baptised to be saved. It tells us that Jesus Christ is the door to salvation. Those who believe in him are saved. Baptism comes as a response to that. Where we recognise that everything 
about me needs to be and has been put to death and I want to, for me to die, for him is to live. As we recognise that baptism is symbolic in the sense of dying to self and being raised in Christ. That's what baptism is all about. The scriptures are quite clear that salvation is by grace alone. Not by works so that no one here, no one anywhere can boast. But as a response to the work that God has done and is doing in Stephanie's heart, she comes and she shares her testimony. I'm going to invite her up now to do that as part of what we're doing. Would you mind, Steph? Um, I want you to be here and I want you to be part of the exciting steps that are taking place in Stephanie's life as she comes this morning and shares as we move later on to, to the baptism and being baptised in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, I want you as the gathered church to be here as Stephanie shares her testimony. Thank you, Steph. God for this beautiful day that he's blessed us with, especially on my baptism. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm excited to be here today to share my testimony <laughs> with you all uh, before my baptism. And to those online who are listening, um, I hope that my words inspire you today. I'd like to give a big shout out to my parents who are here today, Ted and Pam up the back. And also, thank you. And also to very dear friends who have known me since I was very little, uh, Keith and Estelle. <laughs> now very quickly, um, they're willing at the end of this to actually tell you my true testimony of how naughty I really have been and um, they'll take bribes at morning tea. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I'd like to open this with prayer. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God's Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God who gave your life as a sacrifice to save my soul from the torments of hell. I confess that I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Please save me and fill my soul with your Holy Spirit. I dedicate my time on earth to your mission. So please forgive my sins, take control and change my life. I trust you to be my saviour, redeemer, provider, defender, guide, friend, and Lord throughout eternity. Amen. Today I stand before you all to repent and submit to God, proclaim to be and believe in Lord Christ and that he is my saviour, to be baptised and also receive and be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 8.1 stands out for me today, being baptised. It is our spirit that is reborn, so that we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Very powerful. So let me rewind to the beginning. I was born into the Catholic faith. I was christened as an infant. I went to a co-ed boy and girls uh, Catholic primary school from the ages of five to 12. Then God faded into the background as my timeline then becomes. I went to a state high school, followed by university and then went on into the workforce. And I can discuss that later at morning tea. Over the years up until recently, I only attended church for funerals, weddings or christenings. And I was religious for a few hours. Anyway, I was not connected enough with uh, true religious knowledge to understand the importance of it or be changed by it. On reflection, I got bogged down into the cares of this world and was more concerned with the ways, wants and needs of this world. (laughs) Unknowingly, I sinned through distractions and placed idols in my life that took away my time in building a relationship with God. I won't go into details, but basically it was partying and drinking on the weekends during university and work life. That just seemed normal. Concerned with shopping, fashion trends, listening to the latest music and watching movies. Ooh, surfing the internet reading about the uh, Hollywood gossip and idolising those rich and famous people. Uh, Exposure to other world religions as I travelled around the world, which led to a belief in a universal power or something else out there, but not God, and doing New Age practices. If only back then I had known the wisdom of Ezekiel 14.6. Repent! And turn yourself away from your idols. Turn away your face from all your abominations. So let's fast forward to the beginning of this year and my New Year's resolutions. To be more spiritual and to be minimalistic. So get rid of all those um, worldly possessions that I had. In January, I asked God, are you real? Well, through various ways, he showed me that Satan was real and the satanic agenda of this world. God showed me that he was real through his word. This, the Bible, the living guide of instructions of how to live my life. And if it's not written in here, I don't want it. I'm going to also put a little side note here. This Bible was given to me by my mother a few months ago when I told her that um, I'd started coming to church. This Bible was given to my mother by her sister on my mother's 12th birthday. So this has now become one of my most treasured possessions. Love this. Um, I've still got to learn how to read it though. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so now I follow the word of God and I worship him in spirit 
and through faith, as John 4.24 tells us. Oh, and I love this in Scripture. In Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Wow. One of the best things that I've done in the last six months is to hand over my life to God and trust in him. And wow, that has really worked. As it's written in Proverbs, trust in God. It's not about what I understand or what I want to do. It's about letting God direct my path. It is his will. I've learned to pray through daily habit and I can say that's very, very powerful. Uh, For me, gardening and being in nature has been a great way to connect with God and his creations. As I've heard it said, you are closest to God often when you're in your garden. Uh, I've also learnt through Matthew 6.19 that if I don't accumulate lots of earthly treasures or material possessions, then I don't have to worry about moths and rust ruining them, nor about thieves breaking in and stealing things. What a relief. Huh. So in my decision to be born again, I know that God did not want me to come to him being perfect and that I could have my life all in order before my baptism. <laughs> no. Acts 22.16 says it plain and clear. Arise and be baptised and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Great, I thought. Awesome. I just get baptised. All my sins go away. Clean slate. I'll repent and I won't do the same sins. Done. No. There's a lot of a deeper significance when it comes to being baptised. In Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to repeat that last part again. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I think back to the story of when uh, John the Baptist baptised Jesus. Jesus didn't need baptising because he hadn't sinned. But what happened when Jesus was baptised, the Holy Spirit came down and entered him. I thought, oh, I want that too. That would be great. And so after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection... The Holy Spirit was left here on earth for us. And I know that today, that will happen for me, that the Holy Spirit is going to enter me. I know he's around me, but he's going to enter me. And that is going to be amazing. So baptism to me is humbling. In this, I am identifying with Jesus who was crucified and is my saviour. And I stand before you all, and for those listening online, to proclaim I cannot save myself. I need God's grace and I am choosing to die of my old self today and have my sins washed away and make Jesus my Lord. How exciting is that? Wow. Baptism is also to me very glorious 
because I'm identifying with Jesus who conquered death. I'm identifying with a glorious future and a new life in Christ. I'm under no illusion that I will not sin again after becoming a born-again Christian. Being human, we all have that uh, default of the nature of sin. Also, I know repenting my sins, being saved and being reborn, that does not give me a free pass into heaven. No. The most important thing in this life is to get prepared for the next life. There is only one true way to eternal life. The scriptures say that there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved and the only name is Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Most High. I must know him to have everlasting life. And to know him is not difficult. All I have to do is ask to know him. Salvation through Jesus Christ is a free gift of God, as Pastor Ron has spoken about. It's a gift gratefully given, faith in Jesus alone. It is freely given and it's not done by my works of, oh, look what I did. No, it doesn't work that way. So on Judgment Day, I want to be found in the book of life. Thank you for listening to me and I hope that you can attend my baptism today so that we can all have a very comfortable gathering. (laughs) (laughs) Let me pray for Steph. Father, I do want to just thank you for this lady who has been courageous and strong and recognising the power of your word. I do pray today, Father, that you would continue to grow in and use Stephanie to proclaim the gospel message to those that she knows and loves and even those that she may not know yet. But I pray, Father, today would be a day where your love would abound, that you would extend your hand across each one of us who have heard and listened to Stephanie's testimony, that we might recognise the power of your Holy Spirit that is available to each and every one. So, Father, bless her now as uh, we go into the water later on this, this, well, be this afternoon to bring honour and glory to your name. And may we this time be a testimony itself of the goodness and the work that you are doing in Steph's life at the moment. So thank you for her. Bless her family and her home. And may all who enter into that recognise the power of God that surrounds her and the home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Steph. That's now you know Stephanie. What then, brothers? Says Paul. What then? If that's the case, what then? When you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson or revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. 
Whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. We're going to have disagreements at times. We're going to not get along in some ways with each other. That's human nature. We're going to say things that might offend somebody, and, but we have a responsibility to, to respond or react. We've talked about that at a, an earlier lesson, but we need to recognise that we respond appropriately to that as Christ's ambassadors. If we recognise we've done something wrong, we come and seek forgiveness. We repent and we move forward in the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ so that we might be an example to one another as the gathered church. So this morning, if you, you recognise through Stephanie's testimony or through something else that's been said or done here this morning, that you need Jesus in your life because the gulf between us and God is just too big. It's, there's no works. There's nothing that you can do in order to bridge that. It's a shame even if it were true, if that were case. It would be a shame to think that would be the case because can you imagine if, if, if it was getting to heaven by what we did and we, had to, and we don't know how much we've got to do to get there. Imagine if we did one thing less than what we were supposed to and God says, ah, goodbye. He doesn't do that. That's, it's not a works thing. It's by grace, through faith, through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your love, mercy and grace today. Stephanie has shared her story of what you have done in her heart. I know that you, that she and each one of us, that you are working in each of us even now. That we are all a work in progress. We have no reason to criticise one another for our immaturity, unless, Father, we've done that intentionally. But I pray that we might seek you. Your word tells us that if we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. And I pray this morning that we might seek you with all of our heart. Just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe God has been speaking to you this morning. Maybe you do recognise your need of salvation through Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to, to acknowledge that and to admit that. The word tells us that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then let's confess it with our mouth. If that's you, I, I want you to, while the heads are, clo oh, heads are closed and eyes are bowed, just put your hand quickly up in the air and put it down again. I, I will acknowledge that. We will pray for you. Let me pray again. Father, I know that you are with us and guiding us. And now, may your name be honoured in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.